And welcome to the Manifest Image. The 20th century marked a change in the arts, no longer waiting to be retrospectively defined by critics and historians. Writers such as F.T. Marinetti, Tristan Sara and André Breton took their identities into their own hands. In their respective groups, they laid down their thoughts in structured art theories and released them as art manifestos. On this podcast, we pick apart these manifesto-led movements, the artists behind them and the works that they produced. I'm Thomas Greengrass. And I'm Ariel de la Garza. In today's episode, we'll be moving on to the Futurist Synthetic Theatre, following on from the Variety Theatre. Uh, the episode will be broken up between four sections, a recap of Variety Theatre and, its con- and uh, the context of Synthetic Theatre. We'll then dive into the manifesto itself. Uh, we'll then be looking at some examples and influences and compare it to later works by playwrights like Beckett, before finally looking at what art- contemporary artists and playwrights could learn from this manifesto today. Sure, learn or more be liberated by. Liberated by? This manifesto. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, well, or, you know, be liberated from by this manifesto. Give a little yeah. bit more character, just sure. food for thought. Sure. Rather than just repeating the same old stuff. Yeah. So, when was it written? So, this one was written in February 19, uh, 1915, um, or January 1915. It's not entirely clear. Um, but it was definitely reissued in Teatro Futurista Sintético by F.T. Marinetti, Emilio Settimelli, and Bruno Cora. Uh, yeah, those were the three that did this. And I think in Teatro Futurista, there were some plays that might have been um, mm. added in alongside. Um, probably many plays, because one of the key features of synthetic theater is that it's brief. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We'll be diving into. So uh, let's begin with just a little bit of a recap of Variety Theatre. It's the most well. That one is the most well known of all the futurist mm-hmm. uh, theatre manifestos, and yet it's odd because it, they didn't invent Variety Theatre. Mm-hmm. They're just singing in praise of of this this particular mode. So it's not until this manifesto that we actually get a specific futurist innovation. And it's, it, it's, it's a shame that the one before is known because quite a lot of that one is quite infantile. Mm. Uh, and it's probably known for its infantile aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it praises mixed media and things like that. And the futurist evening was a, a huge thing. So, uh, you know, it's, think of like vor- royal variety performances and talent contests. It, uh, you know, you'll be having uh, poems read out on stage, short plays. Uh, you'll be having, uh, uh, you know, cinema screenings all going on, music. But really, I suspect that that one is more well known because it says, you know, do things like uh, glue the seats so that when people sit down on them, they can't get up again. Uh, It's a much more animated one. Yeah, Yeah, put itching powder on it, on on seats so that people are sneezing, invite people who are unhinged, you know, people who are very drunk or rowdy, Mm -hmm. sell the same ticket to multiple people. It's really this kind of infantile thing that I suspect most people know about because it, it's a little bit thin in terms of specific futurist innovation. It's not until this one that we actually have some considerable movements mm-hmm. uh, and we get four 
key principles about what the futurist theatre has to be like. Uh, uh, so these will be... Definitely. What are they? That they will be synthetic, atechnical, dynamic or slash simultaneous and autonomous. Mm-hmm. So these will be the four and we'll be looking into all those. But is there anything else about variety theatre that you just want to bring up or a little bit more context? Um, I, I, well, something else I'd bring up about variety theatre again is only the... Um, it's <clears throat> its roots in uh, that it, it is a popular theater movement essentially mm. uh, that it's not the the kind of middle class highbrow um, theater that they are very much fighting against. Yeah. Um, well, yes, there's, even there's even a though lot of humor, a lot of sure. vulgarity, you know, it's 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 very much opposed to a kind of sacred art, mm-hmm. uh, which he doesn't like, of course. Uh, you know, it's, it's but but also in this one, uh, merely because it's popular is not something that they particularly care about. They 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 liked its irreverence more than anything. Yes. Um, but there are things like vaudeville, for example, that are pretty irrelevant that did not make the cut um, mm. for the futurists, as we we will see later. And um, one of the many many paragraphs that excoriate um, theater as <laughs> as it was practiced then, and as it's mostly practiced now. Yeah, yeah. Well, this will be interesting. I want because we'll be comparing sure. later on. But uh, let's let's first take a look because uh, the manifest, the future synthetic theatre manifesto, begins with this opposition, really, uh, uh, or this dichotomy rather. Uh, it's all set in the background to the war, where he's saying that you know too much theatre is uh, and too much media generally is face uh, is anti anti war or just neutral. Mm-hmm. He says we actually need something else that is far more... Uh, sure, because when you're reading a book or, or something, you're yeah. just sitting down. You're Absolutely. not on the front lines of anything, he says. Well, th- so you, we said, you mentioned popularity just a second ago, and, uh, and it begins, we, we get this line about why he's interested in theatre. He's interested in all art, really. But theatre has a special place, and he gives us this rough statistic. He says, in, f- um, uh, in, fact, and, in fact, 90% yeah. of Italians go to the theatre whereas only 10% read books and magazines. Hence, we're turning it around, but hence we think that the only way Italy can be influenced today is through the theatre. Yeah, so he's got this practical instrumental uh, additional reason to... For for the theatre. For the theatre. And and this has its root in the uh, futurist evenings. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, uh, 1915. The futurist evenings had already been going on. And they sort of... Again, now, now we are very much in the decline of the movement by this point. Of the first generation yes. of the futurists, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it wouldn't help that some of them died and some no, of them and, have and, gone away. And again, quite yeah. soon, quite soon, the toll of the war will begin to be felt, and mm. um, their love of war ends up seeming a bit, bit naive and adolescent. I think as as the bodies yeah. start returning right from the front. Well, yeah, well, let's not forget yeah. that eventually Marinetti will go on, go full fascist, yeah. uh, and even write a manifesto for <laughs> Mussolini. Uh, Mussolini. Yeah. So, I mean, he really doubles down on all of that. He never moves on from that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think it's very important that he really he he he, he sees this um, as a, an educational element, mm-hmm. and it had its root in the Futurist Evening. But now he's thinking, no, 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 the theatre itself. We have to have plays and a particular way of thinking about theatre that should reflect that. But I want to begin by uh, asking, um, 
why isn't variety theatre enough then? Mm. Why do we think that? It's, you know, it's conspicuous for its lack of mention of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so why, why do we think that that's not going to be enough? We, we have this... Uh, he suggests why uh, uh, theatre generally is in a, a poor state. So not to dwell on its period drama, a sickening genre that has even been abandoned by the passive uh, public, we condemn the entire contemporary theatre because it is too prolix, analytic, pedantically psychological, explanatory, diluted, detailed, static, as full of prohibitions as a police station, as cut up into cells as a monastery, as moss-grown as an old abandoned house. In short, it is uh, pacifist, uh, sorry, it is pacifistic and neutralist, uh, the antithesis of the fierce, overwhelming and synthesizing velocity of the war. Mm. So, he, really, he doesn't seem to like it because it doesn't reflect his energy, uh, the, you know, the, the energy that he sees in the contemporary being of that time, the human, mm-hmm. you know, this love of, of energy, but it seems to be very strongly rooted in the war. It, it is, but then, but then as he continues talking, um, as, as the rest of the of the manifesto unfolds, it really isn't about the war at all. No. Um, I, it, it sounds like the beginning, uh, Marinetti just did an extra worry pass on it on a, on a day, <laughs> particularly, particularly day of bad news or something. Um, because, I mean, re- re- really, it's not, it's not about the war um, at all. Um, shall we get into what it is about? I think so, yeah. So we said that the, there, there are these four points. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first, he says, we are creating a futurist theatre which will be synthetic. And he goes, a, a which great... is to say brief. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes, so into a few minutes, into a few words and gestures, we must compress innumerable situations, sensibilities, ideas, sensations, facts and symbols. So it's condensed. It's mm-hmm. economic. Um, and then he, he, I mean, he, he goes into a great detail there, but... I think it's just uh, enough to uh, really emphasize that all this passist or semi-futurist theater, instead of synthesizing fact and idea in the smallest number of words and actions, savagely destroys the sheer variety of settings, source mm. of dynamism and amazement. So he doesn't want, uh, you know, you could always, you know, let's quote Shakespeare, brevity is the, uh, is the source of wit. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what do you think about this then? So, <clears throat> um, uh, yeah. So I, I think I think let's continue on a little bit because then it's going to make more sense. Then my critique I think will be more sense because we'll we'll, we'll make more sense. So it's the next one, uh, the a technical bit. Yes, I think helps helps wrap this up. So for him. Uh, they despise technique. Yes. So, one, to omit every notion that doesn't conform to public taste, to, uh, what is it? Here's a, here's a very long list. It's a, it's a very long list that goes on. But what's the, say, say the second one. Oh, the second one. Uh, once a theatrical idea has been found, expressible in a few pages, to stretch it out over two, three, or four acts. Mm-hmm. So, basically, he thinks that too much theatre has... Filler in yeah, it. Yeah, essentially. So I think for the, for the, for the, I think that's why it explains the synthetic thing, the synthetic bit. Um, he thinks in, in a regular play, there is perhaps one or two theat, there are perhaps one or two theatrical ideas that are the only things of value, and then the rest, and that includes the set dressing, that includes uh, most, most of the, uh, of the writing itself, is just pointless filler, and we should do away with it. 
Um, it's just there to coddle a already coddled, pacifistic, boring, bloated, gouty audience. Um, <laughs> and, gouty and there's audience, no, yeah. and there's no, yeah, and and it's just it's just there for for no reason other than because someone once said it ought to be there. Right? Um, I think that's how he. That's how they, they tend to think of it. Yeah. I think there's a greater divide, though, between these between these two points of the synthetic and the technical. I'm not sure we should necessarily try and understand mm. uh, synthetic uh, as part of the technical because the technicality. He he wants he he wants innovation. He thinks t- one of the other big problems with just you know being indebted to these past uh, uh, techniques is that it limits creativity. Mm-hmm. If you're suddenly writing in forms, it's just a repeat and a repeat and a repeat, and, and you know it's, it becomes passe. Uh, but then more than that, so the technical is a, it's it's a rejection of all the previous forms: tragedy, comedy. It's out the window. Mm-hmm. We're not having that. Um, pastoral. It's all gone. We don't want any of that. We are here to invent new forms, new genres, and we'll be using new techniques. If anyone thinks that there's a particular way of having a stage or having clothes mm-hmm. or of acting, that has to go. But the synthetic, I think that that really, because it's brevity, that's really what it is. And also we should mention that the plays that they write in this style, they call them syntheses. So, uh, so we can see that so that they're basically all these, all these plays, you could understand them as just shorts or brief. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's really what they are. Um, but uh, I think that that has to reflect, again, the futurist sensibility that people... They're constantly jumping from one idea to the other. They're constantly moving forward. You don't have time to be sitting through several acts where there's only a few ideas. No, you show the idea mm-hmm. and then you move on. And that's it. And he makes an interesting point where at the end of the discussion on synthetic, he, he mentions it as a, he brings in the cinema mm-hmm. as a competitor. So he says, you know, an act will last but a moment, only a few seconds long. This essential and synthetic brevity will enable the theatre to sustain and even overcome competition from the cinema. So it seems that there's also, again, an instrumental value here uh, in, in having the brevity there. I think it reflects the sense, uh, sense uh, uh, you know, the sensibility of these people. But also, there's something about it, you know, just having that orangey and there is a, a threat of the cinema. Well, I think he fears, he fears that the cinema would have more, would be, is more capable of carrying that kind of energy mm. um, through to an audience than, than the theater would be in, in the form that he saw it. Um, and in the second point, a technical, I think, is, is, where, is where he really cashes out that point, um, mm. essentially. Uh, yeah uh, so uh, what he's uh, yes. what he's talking about here is what we would today call craft yes so the demands of technique that would just be craft uh it'd be your typical well-made play or um ibsen play you know that kind of thing oh, that again, I'm bringing up just yes. to dig it thomas no. no he's he's excellent but the the struct the structure the structure of those plays is the same structure we have for a soap opera or for things like this um, it's true. It's okay. He changes certain things about a the little running, bit. I mean, right? it's, 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 it's he's good. They're great. The sure, they're great. But they are, you know, the structure, the first, second, third act, rising action. Um, these things are what we expect to see when we see um, any kind of modern acted or or animated um, entertainment. Mm. Um, this is sort of how we expect and. And want our 
yeah, our, our story is told to us. And people often get very upset, even today, when, when that doesn't happen, right? When there is a last-minute revelation or when something changes in the predictable structure of a play or a movie or whatever. Um, people get quite upset with it. It's, it's interesting. It's happening in Game of Thrones. Huh? Suddenly having Arya kill the Night King. If, 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 Jon Snow, everyone thought it was Sure, there you, go. there you go. You literally have this character come back from the dead mm-hmm. and does nothing really. Well, yeah, I guess that would be an example of missing the obligatory scene, right? Yes. The scene where the, the, the big protagonist you're expecting should fight against the baddie in, the, in that moment. And omitting it feels like, like you've been wronged as an audience member. Yes. Even though, I mean, have like you... Like a wet dog story. A, a bit. story that just goes nowhere. Sure. But in a way, also, you wonder, have we or are just our audience's annoying, complacent little children? Now, if I was a young artist at the time... I would say that. The audience are <laughs> complacent little children. And um, I'm inclined to agree, even though sometimes I also get upset when that kind of thing happens. Yeah. I think, well, who the hell am I to demand a swift, understandable resolution to a story? Someone with sense. Yeah, or just someone who's boring. Oh. Well, oh, well. just called you boring. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I think you're absolutely right in... Um, he, perhaps we should focus on a couple more because he, he does give quite a lot of examples but he mentioned this in the A technical but it relates to the synthetic mm-hmm. brevity he says you know you, what do people do they introduce a tenth of your idea in their first act five tenths in the second four tenths in the third shape your acts for rising excitement each act being no more than a preparation for the finale Always make the first act a little boring so that the second can be amusing and the third devouring. To set off each essential line with a hundred or more insignificant preparatory lines. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's, he's totally sick. Oh, that's more than filler. It's more than just filler. He's actually mocking the whole structure. He doesn't think that any of this, you know, the, a rise in action and then to come down to a denouement. We're going to move away from all of that. Synthetic yeah, theatre doesn't have to do any of this. Sure, he thinks he thinks he he. The, so the, what what the, the one thing I've discerned that he values here is theatricality. Mm. Now, he doesn't really explain what that is, but I've got a vague idea. Um, mm. I, I think we we all have some idea of what is some what is something patently theatrical. Just like when you think of something that's that's very cinematic, you can have one or two like moments that feel like definitions of the form kind of thing. And everything else for him is filler and pointless. So maybe the moment the gun goes off, he thinks that's good. So, well, yeah, let's just have that instead of the rest. Now, it'll be interesting to see if in the context of the whole futurist evening, they would land as being particularly theatrical. But one of the purposes of the rising action is that it does build you up to an emotional climax that is a bit hard to get if, say, the pacing is off and you just go from zero to 100 and then to 100 again and, and, and sometimes you, you won't feel that, I don't know, second death or something. It came too quickly after the first. So, the, yes, the craft and technique is cheap, but it's there for a reason, as mm. Henrik Gibson taught us, right? Thomas? Yes. Well, <laughs> well, let's have an example then. Just We'll introduce it now. And so this is one by Canguillo. Um, and uh, so he really becomes the master of the split mm-hmm. second brevity. And this is a, a play called uh, Detonation. And this is the description. The curtain rises on a street at night, silent and empty apart from a street lamp. Pause, then a revolver shot. Pause, then curtain. 
That's, <laughs> that's, that's nice. That's nice. Do you like that? Yeah. Do you like detonation? Nice, simple. But I, I think that one is a, a great example, not only of that, but I think it will be useful for the discussion later as mm-hmm. well. Uh, we can actually introduce a couple more of those because they're so short. It's mm-hmm. very... Have I, I told you that one before? Detonation. What do you think? I, I, th- I think you had. Oh, it's good. Yeah, would, it's do you think nice. you would stage it? Uh-huh, definitely. Yeah, it seems like, a, like a, something really easy to convince other people to give you a theatre for. Um. <laughs> would, you, would you go out for an evening? We're going to watch Detonation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it lasts yeah. all of three seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm also imagining that the pistol shot sounded really, really bad because yeah, they only had a really crappy little pistol in yeah, the theatre. Yeah, it's so. a disaster. <laughs> yeah. They have like a little child's one. Yeah. A little cat gun. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and so uh, he, he then gives us a few uh, principles about what really we should be getting rid of in the a te- uh, for its atechnicality of the theatre. You know, it's stupid to write 100 pages when one would just do. It's stupid not to rebel against the bias towards theatricality when life itself is shaped by actions vastly more muddled, yet also more uniform and predictable than those that unfold in, a, in the world of art. Mm-hmm. Everything of any value is theatrical. Yes. Uh, then that we shouldn't a, satisfy yeah. the instincts of the crowd. Which I think touches on what you were saying earlier. Yeah, yeah. that we shouldn't worry about verisimilitude, uh, which I, 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 I love this. I, I, I love this. Yeah. I love these things. I love these things. No, not, not the truthfulness of a thing. It's, it's no, approaching no, no. the truth. Well, yeah, so it's, yes. it's, it's, it's more how realistic, what we would call realistic. Well, because right? we will actually have that point developed um, with the autonomous, illogical, unreal, and the dynamic and simultaneous. But yeah, yeah, yeah carry on. Um, not wanting to... Um, not wanting... So it's stupid to want to explain with logical minuteness everything taking place on the stage. Yes. So uh, again, all, all these things... Gun, all of that's going yeah. outside. Things will not always pay off. Sure, sure. It's, it's totally random. But I think this also parallels, um, uh, you know, this atechnicality and the rejection of all these previous forms. Um, the, the non-logical aspect of writing for humanity, think words in freedom and mm-hmm. the destruction of syntax, the logic, the underlying logic goes. So suddenly things, they, they will start to stand alone and be totally independent. Um, and there, there will be dissonances but that you don't actually have to have a clear structure. Things don't have to move from A to B to C. They, they are, can be erratic. They can be chaotic. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's also where it, you, you get this rejection of form. But you, you, think, you can think of where that should go. I mean, let's think detonation again. What if suddenly you change that and remove the pi- have a pistol shot, um, but then you know, actually swap that out for like a cow mooing? Mm-hmm. It starts to become a bit more absurdist, and I think we'll touch on that in a bit, but that would, again, it breaks the logic. Would it be a good play? I don't know. When someone fires a gun and it just says moo, and that's it, curtain. I don't know. To give them them a benefit of the doubt here, Mm. um, I think what we often often mean by good play, good whatever... Mm. um, is so, so tainted by our expectations of what those things should be like and what, what, what plays we've seen before um, that we think that that's how things should be. So I do, I do, I am quite sympathetic to their, 
their cause. They're railing against all of these different um, expectations that an audience has, and therefore, I guess, rules of thumb that have developed in in mm-hmm. playwriting and, and so on for forever, really. Well, plot and um, character are being either thrown out or they are radically mm-hmm. reinterpreted, reimagined. Um, and so, you know, one of this a slightly crude but classic dichotomy that's given. Sometimes, you you know, people look at Aristotle's work and, mm-hmm. and they say that here we've got someone who says that plot is always, that plot is first. And character is just that, so it's a plot that's first. And then someone like Shakespeare would be the other side where people say, no, no, no the character comes first. And so, uh, I mean, it's a crude one and a, a reductive one. But here that you, you seem to have have either rejection I mean what sort of plots do you have if you have a plot at all uh, in these syntheses really it's not mm. clear how you would talk about plot in the same way mm-hmm. what's the plot of detonation well detonation is quite difficult in that there is only one thing that happens yes and a plot is a sequence of events so I guess the plot is a gun goes off um, I mean who knows right maybe someone was shot that could have been the plot mm. that we didn't see, but it's there. But it's, uh, I mean, these ca- characters are not going to be fleshed out. Plots will not be developed. No. Ideas might uh, might not actually really be uh, explored. No, or maybe even presented. I mean, some of them are very, very short, um, and uh, pretty much everything that we can say about uh, what's it called a, a gunshot, a shot. Detonation. Detonation, right. About detonation is is extrapolating, right? Because, it, it no, I mean, nothing happens. There's a single thing that happens. It, it's incredibly short. Hey, don't forget that lamp. Sure. It's a street lamp. But Empty nothing else. Lamp. I mean, every, everything else that we can try to add to it is, is almost, is, is saying more about us than about the piece, right? But let's move on to the, the third, which is that it must be dynamic or simultaneous. That is, born of improvisation, lightning-like intuition, from suggestive and revealing actuality. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one of the more uh, obscure ones, I would say. Not as interesting as the fourth, but uh, uh, he, essentially he wants a kind of spontaneity, a rawness, a greater truth... But again, he's already said that he doesn't want verisimilitude. So, you know, there's almost a symbolist kind of thing going on there. Um, so they're not going to be depicting elements from life. But yeah, I think I think I think the verisimilitude. I think the verisimilitude has to do more with, uh, yeah, wanting wanting to, wanting to move away from things that are believable or that are naturalistic or that are kind of logical. Yeah. Um, whereas speaking of truth, I think might be might be different, right? So, like a, a a symbolist can get to a greater truth than a meticulously realistic uh, yes. piece of work. I think that's what they yes, mean there. Yes, and I think that this is what's coming out. But uh, again, it's 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 a kind it's a specific kind of truth, mm. and it's again this lightning like intuition. I would like to combine this. Marinetti does not do this, but I think it's important to start to try to unify some of these ideas together. In uh, the futurist uh, 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 prose and poems, mm-hmm. um, 
we start to, you know, we, we, we get words in freedom, the destruction of syntax. Mm-hmm. We get these second-order analogies, by which point you sort of lost uh, your, your original connections. And what was the point of that? In order to get some sort of machine sensibility. Yeah. And so I'm wondering whether there's a sense here in which you're getting the same thing, you're slowly moving towards that again. That it's that expression that maybe this lightning-like intuition and this very suggestive and revealing actuality that's born out of improvisation here, maybe it's that same phenomenon. I think so, because not to belabor the point too much, but uh, the futurist disdain for an audience's um, expectations that have been built over so long Mm. uh, are... Uh, are are really that I mean it's it's almost a kind of stripping away of everything we understand about the art form right mm. stripping away that that sensibility into I guess something that a machine would love <laughs> or, or could yeah. and, uh, what they would think a machine would like yeah um, but he, oh, but also yes, yes. Uh, before we move on here I, I need to just oh yeah good uh, our futurist theater couldn't care less about Shakespeare, but it pays attention to the petty gossip of comics. It's put to sleep by a line from Ibsen, but inspired by red or green reflections from the stalls. Um, did you like that line? Uh, <laughs> we've said this before. We've said this before that uh, Marinetti actually does love Ibsen <laughs> and he no, loves Shakespeare. No, don't don't think um, so. Don't think so. He. And he you. loves Zola so, and sorry, Verlaine, sorry, and he sorry. loves all of them. Uh, uh, put to sleep by a, a line from Ibsen. Um, oh, no, sorry. It says, put to peaceful, delicious slumber uh, by a line from Ibsen. Is that your new... Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm just, new translation I'm just... I'm just... It's, it's just disappointing. I'm just disappointed in myself that I'm agreeing so well, much. Well, because it's too long. That I'm, that I'm agreeing... <laughs> the brevity yeah, that I'm agreeing want. so much with a bunch of warmongers. But hell, I mean, you yeah. read this and you think they're making a good point. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> so, the next bit. Okay, let's pause on that for a moment then. Uh, because there is truth to some extent uh, where theatre has wanted to radically reinterpret a lot of these works. Uh, I think we've already mentioned, but it doesn't hurt to mention it again, that um, other playwrights like Tom Stoppard have uh, made uh, mm-hmm. adaptions of uh, of like works like Shakespeare. He did did Cahoots, uh, Macbeth, and, and, and various others, and, and a lot of these are like compressed versions. There's also uh, you can you can see them. Uh, uh, you know, it's quite difficult to do them for mm. like schools and things like that, where they'll, they'll do these super cut down. Um, Shakespeare plays, and there's, you can even see like uh, Shakespeare, all of Shakespeare's corpus in one play, one act. Mm-hmm. Sorry, uh, one hour rather. Oh my and God. so you know, I think you know, you will have Hamlet, and it's five seconds. True. And so, and so it's. I think that that actually does capture exactly this. It has the the synthesis, and they try to explain whatever plot or theme is being discussed in that, or whatever characters really, and just really try to condense it down. You know, again, it's the economic. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you can relate this to Occam's Razor. Don't multiply entities beyond necessity. And I also want to combine this with something else because reading some, mm-hmm. uh, reading a lot from this, he's talking about futurist theatre. But again, it's I think it's important to start relating the uh, you know how various core futurist ideas are cashed out within various mediums. Mm-hmm. And so. 
to that and I'd, I'd actually like to uh, use later uh, art theory and commentary to take a look at this. So this is from Francis Bacon and this is about painting. Mm-hmm. I love Francis Bacon but I think this is mm-hmm. something quite special. So this is a quote um, um, uh, and it's from Arena in case right. anyone wanted to, to know. So it's the Arena, uh, BBC's Arena. Uh, I do not believe that today one could say modern man wants a sensation really without the boredom of its conveyance. Cut down the conveyance as far as possible so you just give over the sensation. And, and so, hmm. yeah, so what you really want is to remove as much of the transfer of the, of, you know, whatever is the mediator. Of, 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 of the, the medium, yeah. Yes, you want to cut all of that down to as much as possible. You want only the active ingredient. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, okay, Francis Bacon is talking about something else there, but I think that this is very important, you know, that, that, and maybe Marinetti's right, I mean, in terms of that there is a... And I think this could be characteristic of uh, the 20th century and that kind of modernity then, where people might have started to really focus on just the sensation, handing over sensation. That's very interesting. That's very, very interesting. And so maybe that's how, you know, we lose the plot, we lose character. What do we end up with? Sensation. And I think that this ties neatly together with things like, you know, the express uh, expression of this machine sensation and the raw energy. Which I guess for them would be the the, the maximal version of sensation would be... Mm. That machine sensation, because it would be pure, the sensation of sticking your tongue in an outlet, you know, that would be kind of the pure, pure energy. So you don't want the conveyance, you want to reduce it, you want it short as well, just for the sake of, you know, it takes too much time. A little more on that, though, because I think that sounds, that sounds, um, that's interesting. I want to relate that, I want to, yeah, I want to relate that a little bit to a kind of, um, strange, almost Whiggish version of art history that mm-hmm. is, I, I don't know, it's in my head somewhere. I don't know if, how real this is, but I, I would feel this is the type of thing that school children are taught. Um, that things like painting have, uh, there, there is a function and that then artistic expression is somehow somewhat secondary to that function and that function would be something along the lines of reproducing the world uh, sure in a pretty way um, but the sensation of the artist is kind of takes takes a back seat to to these other things right to kind of creating a, a sense of aesthetic beauty perhaps to but v- v- Aesthetic beauty, I, I mean beauty, like visual yes, yes, beauty, yes. that it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. And perhaps something else like showing off the many lands or the wonderful meals of aristocrats, um, which is one of the things that's a uh, famous kind of English um, painting was full of. You know? mm. Vast fields that are just green and not, not full of grain because that would mean that you need the money and the income from it, right? Um, do you think that that's, that's right or that there is something um, that's right about no, it? No, but I think that this is a version of that, that then as we get photography and things like this, uh, we don't need that anymore. And so we kind of go to a core of what art is, which is to do with sensation, it's to do with expression. And then you have the impressionists and then you have da-da-da and then you have the abstract expressionism mm-hmm. 
as the kind of full bore version of of that sensation. Well, That's what we want. Yeah, that, this is why I'm actually uh, going now, towards. I, I don't think that's right. Um, yeah, I, th I think there's, some, there's something wrong with looking at at art history as some way of boiling down what makes us human or human expression into one point. Um, there's plenty of value. I think there's plenty of value in the set dressing. Um, yes. But but yes, that's a very interesting. Well, it's... Uh, because you've got somewhere, something like the Pre-Raphaelites uh, 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 and, and then the arts and crafts movement, people like uh, William Morris, who is uh, mm -hmm. associated with both. They love decoration, they love ornament, uh, but they're also passionate about function. So you've got someone like William Morris who says that if something... You must have nothing in your house that is not beautiful mm -hmm. or uh, useful to you. Mm -hmm. But he's all about a lot of what we think of as decoration. Mm -hmm. Francis Bacon is someone who cannot stand decoration sure. or ornamentation. In fact, these, if, these are some of the worst criticisms that you can offer. I, Marinetti is going to be along the same path. He's, he's going to despise uh, ornamentation. Mm -hmm. He's functional. I mean, this is, remember, he cuts out adjectives from his, uh, uh, from his writing. He says, you don't need that. That's nothing but ornament. You stick to your verbs and sure. your nouns and create new ones. Uh, at a push, you can use, you know, adverbs and new phrases that are actually one new concept or one new, one new action, things like that. Um, so yeah, th there is an economy here. There mm -hmm. is an economy here that we, we have to keep in mind. Um, um, but uh, let's take a look now at uh, yeah. So that's the, that's the dynamic, and we should finish up the, the dynamic and simultaneous with just that the majority of our works have been written in the theatre, and we attain an absolute dynamism through the interpretation of different times and environments. So <clears throat> I first of all want to look at that first uh, that first line. Um, now this this is I always thought that this was a little bit out of place, mm -hmm. and I don't see immediately how it ties in with the dynamic or the simultaneous, unless also somehow there's a there's a certain truth in, uh, uh, or just somehow it's more genuine and expressive if you're doing it in in certain ways like writing a play in a theatre. So he's bored mm -hmm. with Shakespeare and Ibsen, but he loves looking at the seats and thinks that that's, since you're going to be performing in a theatre, it should actually be a source of inspiration to you and you should be writing in a way that sort of reflects it as opposed to necessarily at your writing desk. Yes. Because he said the, the reds and greens of the, of the stalls. Yeah. And, yeah. So I, I think, but this is a very curious thing. Does, does that, does that make much sense? Do I think, think it does. I think it does. So, uh, I think this is intimately related to his disdain of playwriting as a literary medium. Mm -hmm. um, he thinks that this is not literature. No, he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. Uh, he might consider it literature, I don't know, but he, he doesn't want it to be literary. He wants to oppose literary to theatrical. Mm. Um, and this is something that many playwrights wanted to do as well. And directors. And so... Uh, it, it's interesting to think of what the role of a playwright, sorry, of a, of, a, of, a, of a director and of all the other people that produce a play, that make a play happen, um, as opposed to just the writer. And if one thinks of them as mere 
translators, as conduits for the writer's genius, um, then I think you miss a you miss what the theater is. Mm. So theater is not literary interpretation, but an art form in and of itself. And when you think like that, then you start to think, ah, okay, okay, then maybe that kind of desk work of having things that are so separated from the theater, from what it means to do theater, um, which is to work with actors, which is to develop, blah, 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 all these things, then, uh, then yes, sitting, sitting at home is kind of detached from yeah. what it means to do theater. Now, all of this and how it relates to the things that they made themselves, I don't know. But well, it's just that the majority of them. So that's it. But I think, but I, 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 I think that's the dichotomy yeah. that I think he's making. But does this does this then apply to uh, other media? So should painters start painting in galleries? No. Why not? If they I, don't I, I, no, they're gallery, fundamental. No, they're totally different. They're totally different. That uh, painting does not have audience interaction. Right, the audience doesn't matter. I mean, could be seen today in 600 years I mean no but the future's paintings yeah I know I should know. they be made in galleries no no because should new music no. be made in auditoriums maybe like uh, maybe I mean okay if you knew where you were going to be you might, you because might no so, so this is important no this is important theatre's performance well, painting but, is not performance Okay. At all. What it's about not performance. The art of noises, though? Uh, Rousselot's muse, uh, muse boxes? Maybe. I mean, that is also... Does that make them make maybe, in the auditorium? Uh, maybe, but I, I don't think that's where this is going. I think what they're... I but I'm just wondering why it wouldn't. No, I think, I, think what they're after, I think what they're after is a kind of... Um, a kind of interaction with their audience that is incredibly vital, incredibly theatrical, that is steeped in um, great moments of theater and in energy, in the distinct energy that happens between the audience and the performer. And um, that that is completely different from any other art form. But it's whether we uh, agree to it or not, it's an interesting proposition mm -hmm. uh, uh, that perhaps... So um, this is quite similar yes. to, to the, towards the end here, and I'm going to jump ahead a bit, um, which I think is fine. The sixth conclusion, the last one. Yes. Through unbroken contact, create between us and the crowd a current of mutuality without solemnity in order to instill in our audiences the dynamic vivacity of a new futurist theatricality. Um... That, to me, starts to feel a lot like Artaud's Theatre of Cruelty. Mm. Okay. To try to create these, these like, um, moments of kind of ritualistic communion between audience and, um, and performer. I mean, maybe not all the way there, but definitely a, a new kind of relationship between audience and performer. Well, Which, if someone is a kind of literary playwright, one doesn't have. Mm. At least for them, yeah. I mean, we've already seen that they are antagonistic towards their audience mm -hmm. from variety theatre. But th th there is an interesting connection uh, that's drawn up and about that relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I... I mm. so, so something else. I mean, um, do you think that that's, something that like that's a positive... 
uh, not necessarily positive in terms of necessarily enjoyable, mm-hmm. but somehow in terms of the theatricality of it or the art of it, to have this particular relationship, this very a little, a little, yeah. I mean, um, it, it, I, I think, I think they also want to. This is the this is where the didactic bit comes from. Mm. They don't want to be obnoxious merely to be obnoxious, although in truth I think they totally yes, do. Yes. They are they are provocateurs. Yes, That's what they do, yes. and we know that. But the pleasure of being booed. Exactly. I mean, he writes I mean, a manifesto on this. He's, mm-hmm. But you know, dressing it up a little bit, um, they do want to be didactic. They mm. do want to teach. They want to have a new kind of audience that lives with the same dynamism. Da 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 da. So on. Um, so yeah, I think that's what they're... And to arouse in them the sensation. Mm-hmm. What, so what, what this... Um, what all of this... Uh, I don't... Do, do, do well, we, what we what we else should we talk about? Because I think... Illogical I... and unreal. Okay. That's, that's the fourth. We have to look at that. So, um, uh, and this again uh, connects up uh, uh, to, you know, the, the breakdown of syntax. So the futurist theatrical synthesis will not be subject to logic, will contain no elements of photography... It will be autonomous, will resemble nothing but itself, mm-hmm. even though it draws on elements from reality and combines them by chance. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think this, so it's autonomous, illogical, unreal. I think this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, this should, uh, this can be used as a understand, uh, as some sort of uh, condition of art generally, uh, that actually it is not mimetic. Mm-hmm. So this is a radical uh, uh, departure from uh, something like an Aristotelian account or even like a lot of Renaissance. Vasari's Lives of the Artist is all dedicated Mm -hmm. towards getting closer and closer to, you know, depicting either nature or God, a kind of perfection and having it cut through. Here, it is actually a new thing that you're doing. It's a Mm -hmm. brand new thing. And uh, it it is totally independent. It's not like anything else. Art is its own thing. And I think this connects up to a little bit of uh, art. It relates to something like art for art's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, that It has this independence to it, this independent value to it. Uh, you know, it's non-representational. You know, it must either present new objects, which mm-hmm. the artwork, or, or in this case, uh, the, the play... Uh, 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 instantiates, or it must be abstract. Mm-hmm. But either way, it seems to always focus on the, the sensations, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the raw images. What do you think about that? That's good. I like it. Well, see, <laughs> now you're, you're, you're going to be mm-hmm. troubled by this, because you mentioned abstract expressionism in mm-hmm. the art movement. Uh, and... We've already mentioned Bacon and, you know, the sensation without the, the boredom of the conveyance. Bacon hated expre- abstract expressionism, but some of your favourite, mm-hmm. some of your favourites, like Rothko. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't mind Rothko. It's Rothko's fine. one that you like, but... Fine, yeah. Uh, we're, th- those mm-hmm. really are non-representational. Mm-hmm. Let's break it down. So it's expressionist. Okay, so it's actually you know, showing some sort of greater truth, typically, or some sort of True. sensation. Think of a, a typical uh, uh, example of expressionism in the early years was Edvard Munch's The Scream. Mm-hmm. And it's not meant to just, you know, is that orange sky there? Actually, is it sort of this blood orange uh, 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 sky? And that scream, is that 
the person screaming? Is it someone experiencing the scream? Is it a condition of their soul, the scream? Sure, sure, sure. It's all that. But suddenly we're not getting specific thing. It's not being uh, the media, sorry, uh, the uh, mediator for this uh, is no longer anything concrete. It's now morphed into the abstract. Mm-hmm. And so now whatever sensations you got, uh, it is going to be something totally autonomous. Mm-hmm. It's going to be just what it is. And so I actually think that uh, he gives what... He's not talking about abstract expressionism, but I think this would be one of the best definitions of it. Mm. Um, so, above all, just as the painter and composer discover, scattered through the outside world, a narrower but more intense life made up of colours, forms, sounds and noises, so the man gifted with theatricality uh, sensibly, uh, theatrical sensibility discovers his own specialised reality, one that assaults the nerves with violence. It is constituted by what is called the theatrical world. So with this theatrical sens- uh, sensibility, you start seeing these raw uh, sensations, you know, this thing that can attack the nerves. Mm. Uh, and so he then goes on to say, our fr- uh, frenetic passion for contemporary, swift, elegant, complicated, cynical, mu- uh, muscular, ephemeral, futurist life is that. Um, and our extremely modern conceptual definition of art, which stipulates that no logic, no tradition, no aesthetic, no technique, no art, uh, 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 no occasional demand can be imposed on the artist's talent. He must be preoccupied only with creating synthetic expressions of cerebral energy that have the absolute value of novelty. So now mm-hmm. we're looking at what the uh, what your playwright should be doing. Sure. But it's all about the sensation, and it's a very kind of erratic thing, and non-representational. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it eventually says yes. it's a labyrinth of sensations imprinted with the most exacerbated originality and combined in unpredictable ways. That's what the Futurist Theatre will be. But I also think that you can read all of that and think this is talking about abstract expressionism. And now here is where I'm going to go out on a limb. Uh, I think that actually Futurism itself, if pushed far enough, would have gone towards abstract expressionism. Hmm. It would, okay. have, it would have gone there. Uh, in this case, I think the paintings were actually a bit behind. Art of Noises was already doing this, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or, or really. Um, the theatre is now starting to do it. His words in Freedom, arguably, is already doing it, and he's even more ambitious with the second analogies, you know, really getting out there, real breakdown. And what's it, what can it be? There's already no underlying understanding it's all of it's sort of lost and it's mired you know we, we don't really know what it's even referring to anymore what is the sense it's you've got nothing more than the sensation so i think that really you can look at that there would have been uh at the moment they're still too mired they're at the early futurist paintings because they're actually representational a lot of the time or too representational they're depicting a car train animal streetlights people if they'd have continued long enough um, I suspect that they would have actually moved away from these and started to use something like, you know, the second analogies in the writing, but now you use it visually. If you want, still want to communicate something about a car, you're no longer depicting a car. Mm-hmm. And actually we're moving on, and somehow you'd get this abstract expressionist art. 
that would still try to. Well, I fear if they would have. I fear if they would have. If they would have gone on for long enough, it would have just. For Marinetti, the ultimate expression would have been something like shooting someone or something. Probably that, that kind of a violent thing. Uh, Don't but, you think it's interesting to try yes, and combine these? Sure, with the sure, sure. There's, there's a melt. They, they, they are falling. They are falling. Yeah. Uh, falling away from kinds of representationalism from all convention, right? So let's wrap up. Uh, well, uh, we should we should uh, uh, consider um, uh, another example. Okay. We should consider another example because. These syntheses, uh, they end up having... Marinetti pursues this, mm -hmm. and he starts writing what he calls a dramas of objects. So he ends up removing character yeah. and having uh, just uh, uh, various objects. So uh, 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 we've got one called The Hands, uh, which was written by Bruno Cora, and it was simply... Uh, um, a, a, a curtain, roughly the height of a, a person... Uh, and they stretched out uh, uh, their hands above, and they sort of moved them up and down. Mm. And that's that's uh, you know this is a. a hand I mean, how drama. this stuff is meant to be essentially theatrical, I don't know. But and they did a similar <laughs> one again with legs. My God, with feet rather. Yeah. Um, but uh, we've also got uh, one involving chairs, mm. where there's a chair that's focused on the middle of the stage. And sort of lit as if it's a character, and then someone just moves the chair, mm -hmm. and then walks off. And really, they you know they're not the character; it's the chair. Mm -hmm. So it's a drama of objects. And then others start focusing on geometric syntheses, where uh, they actually don't have any uh, like people on the stage, nor do they have any objects. They just uh, essentially have lights. They have lighting. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, grids that give various geometric shapes, a bit like a Pink Floyd gig, <laughs> <laughs> and and that was it. Uh, you know, you have this kaleidoscopic play, and what? I mean, is there a plot? No. Is there character even? No, no. They've moved away from these things. Uh, but it's it's very strange, and I but. Bear in mind that this is still nine, the 1910s. Mm -hmm. Think about how many uh, you know, artistic shorts you see today in contemporary art uh, and you know, uh, performance art that seems to reflect this. And this, this is very early. I mean, it the, is. The geometric you know, colors. And also they would combine it with uh, Rousselot's mm -hmm. Art of Noises and Dissonant Pianos. Mm-hmm. So you're really starting, you know, the media are coming together mm -hmm. uh, and we've, we've got a real exploration there. And That's true. I, let's compare it to something like Beckett. Mm -hmm. So uh, you've got Beckett's quad, quad one and quad two, which is really just a geometric play. You've got four people who walk in a particular pattern. You read that script and it's just, it just explains how people should walk around this, this square on the ground in a particular way and move in diagonal lines. And mm. that's it. And that, that's, that's the play. Is there a plot? Is there meaning? No. I mean, with, with those things, I, I always I, uh, admire one's liberty to do it. Mm. Um, 
But that's but the I'm, saddest thing. But I'm completely nonplussed by the result. No. Um, but well, but it's... You loved breath, didn't you? Do you remember breath? It's fine. Just breath. breath. Yes, yeah. it was breath. Uh, it was um, <laughs> yeah. a long scream, then a long inhale. Yeah, it's fine. And there's a great version done by uh, Damien Hurst. Mm-hmm. You love that version, didn't you? You can I, see it on YouTube. You, you certainly do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All over a pile of rubble. But again, mm-hmm. it's like deton- think of, compare it to detonation. We've got a street lamp. So you've got a setting, and no, it's got it's true. It's very, thing. it's very, it's very, it's very, very early twentieth century. It's true, all but, of those things. Uh, and yet, it's only really then in the nineteen sixties that, uh, you know, these ideas start being coming out again. Yeah, the I, I, I suspect fell fell flat. Really, it, I they mean, created I, a lot. I, They've sure. got. A, we're not short on their syntheses. It's not like some of their. Uh, Poems where maybe there aren't that many. So let's let's take that let's take that as a as a as a way to slowly start wrapping up. I I think. But what can I, people learn? Well, yes, I perfectly understand why it fell flat. I mean, it's terrible to watch. It's absolutely terrible to watch. I mean, just like breath, none of, nothing happens. I mean, with a lot of these things, they're 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 like anti. Breath, though. Oh yeah, because he's Beckett. And quad. But because he's Beckett, I mean, if well, anyone else had written it, it wouldn't be. You why know, don't we perform Canguillo's detonation? Because he's Canguillo, no one knows who he is. <laughs> that's why. That's why. I mean, but anyway, it, or or perhaps I'm wrong, and there is some hidden genius to those two plays that escape me, and I think escapes everyone who sees them, but. I like the chair. Marinette's chair is great. The chairs might be fun. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I mean, some of them are funny and good fun. But they're, I, I see why it fell flat. But it's it's brilliant that they did it. And and I think they're taking it taking it perhaps not to the extreme that they did, but as permission to break with very stodgy conventions that are still very much alive today. Even if people continuously try and break them, mm. um, well, you know, so a pessimist could say, "Well, the reason they survive is because that's that's the truth. That's what a good play is. It's simply one with the rising action." Da 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 da. Um, but yeah, this is great food to 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 want to try different things, to innovate, and to n- not feel like one has to stick to to the same. Um, the same, the same formulas that people have been sticking to for a long time. Now, I'm going to bring in a, a different way mm-hmm. to uh, to break these formulas than the one they bring. But yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, there's so much there. I think people should be considering how to make their writing more economic. Um, so don't is, drag yeah. out your plays, uh, or uh, and if you're an actor, you know, look at your dialogue. Is this right? Is it right? Does it actually convey the sensation? Is it? But it, it's interesting because another one thing that can happen when, when one asks oneself that mm-hmm. is that you end up boiling things down purely to structure, right? So you end up having that sort of Chekhov's gun argument, even though Chekhov, definitely not a structuralist. That was not his thing. Mm. I don't know why that's what we all remember right. of him. Um, wonderful, subtle character playwright but like it's very easy also to think let's strip down to basics and well what are the basics well you've got a conflict you've got a character you've got blah 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 and then you you wind up also with Eugene Scribe's well-made play right if you try to strip everything down in a way what one can also do 
is think the entirely entirely the opposite way. Um, and there's been loads of theater I, and and film. I don't necessarily enjoy a lot of it, but it's also not meant to be enjoyed necessarily. So loads of feminist playwriting and film um, filmmaking has been to focus on things that we would not traditionally take to be as theatrical, right? To focus on mundane things that maybe in the past have been thought of as women's work or things like that and therefore not deemed of value. And through kind of subverting the same rules mm-hmm. that Marinetti's screwing here, you, you wind up, I mean, perhaps in, in the other way, you wind up with something probably that's equally subversive, if, if not... Uh, if not in the same form. Well, see, yeah, I, I, I think that's absolutely right. And it's, it's worth mm-hmm. challenging yourself. You know, if you think your writing is getting mm-hmm. a little bit stale, you should definitely be trying to do these sorts of things. I think that the problem, uh, Marinetti goes into it, he's, you know, it, the, the problem is when uh, you have the fixed structure and suddenly everyone thinks, no, no, you have to have a certain number of acts, a certain number of things, and suddenly you're dragging things out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, so you, let's think of it. He needs to be brief. He's saying be brief, and yet uh, there's no logic to your play. Mm-hmm. Well, there doesn't need to be a sort of clear logic to your play either, because we've got all the atechnical elements and also the dynamic simultaneous and autonomous elements. So it's difficult to actually get, if you're boiling down to structure, or, or your structure will look very peculiar. I don't think you're going to boil down to you need a certain number of acts, a certain number of this, or anything like that necessarily. No, no. For Marinetti, the boiling continues. Yeah, and I and I think you you, they, you, you keep boiling until, until there's one until there's some something like sensation. But then again, a bit like a Jackson Pollock painting, it's kind of hard to tell what sensation we're meant to really be looking at because mm. they all are a bit similar. Bacon called the, um, the some of his, the shoelace paintings. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it gets. It gets quite hard to tell what we're meant to be looking at when you boil something down. It's very hard to boil effectively. Um, yeah. Or, or you end up with a kind of puzzle box script, you know, that is like everything is there for a purpose. And, and then that doesn't work either. That's too logical, right? But it forces you to also yeah. think about the importance of plot, character, and what could potentially be uh, a character. If you've got drama of objects and then later on... Uh, these geometric lights and this is your play these mm-hmm. are either your characters or your plots somehow that's what it's doing yeah. I think that you know th- these, these are challenges and it does make you think what, what is the purpose of something else in next week we'll be looking at stage design mm-hmm. uh, and so we'll be comparing some traditional designs and what the future is and these will be second generation future well well we'll go into that next week but um, uh, uh, We'll, we'll be relating what the purpose of a stage should be. Mm-hmm. And perhaps it should have some sort of function that may be akin to something like a character. Perhaps. Perhaps something like that. So perhaps it's it might. interesting. Very interesting. It, worth, worth going over that rather than so. just thinking that... And, and I think interesting still to, to read today um, mm. very much. Yeah, I, very current, this one. This is it's, it's mm-hmm. an excellent one. Much, uh, you know, so it feels very current. So much, so Except much for maybe uh, theater being the dominant cultural force in Italy. Yes. Perhaps, <laughs> unfortunately, that might not be the what case. What would it be today? Social media? I guess, I guess nah. they're short, short, you know, less nah. than 30 second videos. I guess. Surely, right? 
I guess, but difficult to call them a cultural force in any real way. Oh, I think they are. No, they are. They are in their array, a kind of synthesis. But, you know, do they picture that theatricality of life? No, they don't. They can't picture theatricality, right, because it's recorded. (laughs) But does it express, again, it's like the writer. Oh, theatrical moments? Sure, yes. I I guess. Giving over the sensation? Sure. You know, think of TikTok dances. I'm sure some of them are good. Well, we wouldn't know. What else could the form be? Perhaps podcasts. And on that note, yeah. Did you like that? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On that note, we on are that done. Note, Thank you so much, so much for, for listening. Us. As always, uh, look below for ways to support the podcast. Thanks so much.